Welcome to the Productivity Mastery Podcast, presented to you by myself, Stoyan Yankov, Productivity and Performance Coach, Keynote and TEDx Speaker, and co-author of the Perform Methodology, and the book, Perform, The Unsexy Truth About Startup Success. Join me on a journey to discover what some of the world's leading professionals do to be more productive, create peak performing teams, and build successful global companies. New episodes weekly. And now, enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to Productivity Mastery. We have a very special episode today. And the reason is the person that I'm interviewing today is, I think, the person that I interviewed the most in the past few years. Sergio, I think the first time we... We got on to interview was uh, at the Emerge conference in 2020. And since then, this is the fourth interview. And I keep on inviting Sergio and trying to pick his brain on uh, a number of different topics. He always has something, some new story, some new example, something new to share. So I'm very happy to, to welcome Sergio Negat, co-founder of Fintech OS. How are you this morning, Sergio? I'm a bit worried now that you said that you, you were talking so often, and this is like a, the one, one of the most interviewed persons here. Because, uh, you know, I'm lucky. I have a very bad memory, so I don't remember what we talked last time or the other time or the other time. And obviously, I'm going to say the same things at some point. So, um, yeah, let's see. But other than this, it's Monday morning, and like everybody on Monday morning, I'm full of energy and enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. I'm happy I, I got the chance to book you for a Monday. And I, I actually, the, the last time we had an interview, the very last one from last year, I asked you a question. I want to start with the same question, just so we can unpack and get into the topic of today. And the question is, wh what's on your mind these days? I mean, you, you're growing a, you know, a, a company that's scaling fast and, and you're a founder, you're going to conference. I know there's a lot happening, but, but just what's on your mind this past few weeks? Well, it's it's funny. I think my life got simpler from many points of view uh, since we spoke last time from uh, about this. Because if you have um, a situation like uh, the the investment market has been, or for the last one year or one year and more, and you know everybody is a bit more a bit clearer about the need for efficiency in growing businesses and all that, then you realize that the best way to manage your business for growth remains the very traditional way of managing business for growth, which is bloody extract value, deliver for the clients, make sure the clients are happy, make sure the clients are paying, make sure, make sure that the clients are willing to pay more for more of your product and that everything is organized in an efficient manner and you have all the things, all the layers, uh, all the structures, all the processes in order to grow. And if you have that kind of agenda, and the, which is a lot less speculative, then uh, uh, and a lot more, you know, disciplined towards what you need to achieve, I think things are kind of falling in place quite nicely because you you make very rational judgments at all moments. So for, in a way, by the fact that for fintech OS we have decided that hey, we still have enough money in the bank from the previous raises in order to converge the market, the, the, the company to break even by the end of next year, by the end of 2024. So we do that. 
if at any moment something happens to for us to change that view in order to raise the next round in order to you know grow the company further and so on then okay we will do that but for now our approach is let's bring our our company towards break even or as close to break even as possible and then we will trigger the next uh, investment round for global expansion so it's quite <laughs> For, for the people who Quite didn't have a chance to, to, to work, <laughs> for the people who didn't have a chance to listen to our previous three interviews, uh, could you give us the, the 60 second uh, pitch of what is FinTech OS and how far are you guys on the journey? Huh. <laughs> okay, FinTech OS is this uh, company that is probably the first of a category that we would call um, FinTech enablement. And we call it fintech enablement because this is the kind of company that gives the answer to the famous article of Angela Strange uh, saying at some few years back that uh, every company uh, will be a fintech company. And we believe that, well, perhaps not every company will be a fintech company, a great deal of companies will be. And they need a technology that allows them to fintechify what they are doing. So if you're a bank, then your products need to be digital products. They need to be connected with each other. They need to be embedded in a distribution channel. They need to work with each other. If you're an insurance, pretty much the same thing. If you're a retailer, you may want to consider financing your customers to do stuff. So this is why FinTech enablement as a category is there. And we are using advanced high productivity tools in order to enable normal people, business consultants, to build those products and services and launch them on the market. So building products and services, financial products and services, launching them fast on the market, turning our clients into, you know, fintech power hub, fintech innovation powerhouses, making sure that they have the power to innovate and modernize their infrastructure at the same time and come up in the market with strongly differentiated products. This is what fintech OS is. This is what fintech OS does. Um, and there is another nuance to your question. Yeah, where are you on the journey at the moment? How the journey. many people? That, 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 that's, where yeah, are you? That's where I, well, uh, it's very interesting because I, if you're asking me like that, your only answer is, well, we're on the journey. And I don't think, you know, this a journey, while, while it has a very clear beginning, or actually two potential clear beginnings. One is the moment when you've got the idea and you start pondering it. And the second is when you start the company. Uh, so I think every every startup would have like two uh, original moments in time of, uh, of, of starting up. But where is the end to understand where am I on the journey? I have no clue. I hope it's not near in any way. So um, for us, uh, you know, it's we have offices. Uh, we, we started this thing in Bucharest, but now we have offices in London and New York, and we are moving towards you know, what's happening in those uh, London and New York offices to be a sort of a common headquarter for the firm as the business is growing in North America and in Western Europe as well. And out of that, we are about 300 people in total. We have about 50 clients. Most of them are financial institutions, financial companies, uh, banks and insurance firms, but not all of them, as I said. Um, and um, yeah, we have a wonderful growth uh, that makes us confident and optimistic about the future. I wonder, is every, one, every one, journey... You know, now, let, 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 me, let me add one thing, because it's, you know, 
there is this thing where uh, this is the broad area of fintech, you know, in the broad area of fintech, uh, people have been you know, like, like top, top, top. And then, oh, what is happening? You know, things are going down and there, there's not so much hype in fintech anymore. That's what what is perceived. But there are many, many categories of fintechs. And I, I believe, you know, is not fintech for the sake of fintech is not that we are trying to build something that there is no use for. So there is no such thing as a you know overfinanced B two C. There is no such thing as you know um, technologies that are don't have a use out there. If you want, our area is enterprise SaaS. So we produce enterprise SaaS for established firms, and they have always purchased or built their own software. So there is always a need for that. We have not seen a slowdown from the commercial from the commercial side. We have seen a slow a slowdown from the investment side. But hey, there's no there's no nothing that would uh, make us make us worry from that point of view. And with that thing, you know, looking forward, then you start pondering. So what's next, and how fast, and how big can this grow, and how big, how fast can it grow? Because that's the, the the name of the game in starting startups and in scaling scale ups. And at the same time, we have a bunch of people joining us from different parts of the world. I just want to give a shout out to Navid, who's joining us from sunny Dubai. Obviously, you have the Romanian community, Monica, uh, how to web. And then Meliha from Bulgaria is saying, greetings from Bulgaria. Thank you for sharing your experience and knowledge. Talking about expansion and growth, Navid is curious if you have any plans of expansion into Dubai. Not immediately. And I think that's the, 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 the shortest answer. Because when you think of it, you know, you have the mantra of efficiency suddenly. And you know you're doing enterprise SaaS. So you know that for every new market that you want to open, there will be some time of paying some people some amounts of money before you can actually get uh, some clients to pay back for that investment. So in terms of efficiency, you go for a higher efficiency as long as you focus on client, on markets where you're already present and where you already have references. So for us in this circumstances, Middle East is not a priority. Unfortunately, we'll talk again after we raise the next round. Excellent. Sergio, we started speaking about the journey and I don't know how you feel, but at least for me, for the past five, 10 years, following the startup environment, we tend to hear all these success stories, right? You know, oh, there's a unicorn company. Oh, there's this new tech giant uh, that came from the small country of uh, Slovakia, whatever, right? And and somehow we don't really paint the full picture about the difficulties of a journey. And I wonder what's your take on that? Like, do you, is every startup journey meant to be difficult? And maybe if you kind of reflect your yes. own story with Theo, it's like, did you guys have any sleepless nights and no, any major no, nobody, no, you know, it's it's well known that none of the entrepreneurs ever have any sleepless nights over their business. You know, it's been forever like that. Any entrepreneur on any, in any in any country at any given moment in history is such a peaceful and quiet job where you have nothing to worry and things are all set and clear for you now of course i'm uh, you know um first of all i think for all successful entrepreneurs that i've known they all had moments in their um typically in their early days they said "Fuck, this is not gonna work this is this is this is not going to 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 evolve the way we planned for it so 
am I still going to do it? You know, how, what, what about those people that we hired and we promised them that it would be, there would be something and so on. So I think everyone has, everyone has had that. And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, be, being true to yourself and accepting it that, uh, hey, it's, it's not all rosy and clear, but there is something about entrepreneurs. I think entrepreneurs are self-motivated. So somehow the large majority of entrepreneurs are, uh, when, even in shitty times, even, uh, when things aren't the way they, they, they were supposed to be, or they were expected to be, to be fair, to be fair. Um, even in those times, uh, normally the entrepreneurs would find their, find their resources in inside and go out there and fight back and, you know, accept the things that they have to accept, change the things that they have to change and, and move further. And there's, I, I think that we have, we have no exception. We were, we were lucky in a way and, um, well, luck is a, is a care, carefully, uh, crafted, uh, part of destiny in many situations, but we were lucky to be able to launch this company um, at a time when we had the experience of having run reasonably large companies in the past. So companies with hundreds of uh, employees uh, that were part of the more traditional way of doing business, you know, where you go from day one for a profit and so on. And we realized the name of the game. So we were um, very much concentrated in each step of the way on having enough money in the bank in order to run the company properly and in order to grow the company. And I think this effort of having fundraised early enough and knowing how to actually run a company for growth in a more, um, let's say, in a more uh, conservative, conservative or more traditional setting, if you put the two things together, at least you have the luxury of not having major crisis. So you can actually grow the company. And, you know, if you need to, to change things here and there, well, um, let me um, um, say something a bit controversial, have the luxury to be able to waste some money. Because in all what we do, you know, sometimes we may mistake, uh, we make mistakes and um, uh, there are problems and uh, it's a, a good friend of mine actually says it, you know, if a problem can be solved with money, it's not a problem, it's an expense. So um, that's what you, that's what it becomes. You, you run across different problems and if you have enough money to solve the, the, the problems, uh, when, when, when they, when, when, when they come, then it's, then it, it's an expense, it's an affordable expense and you move on and you can't really predict the future in all its details. So sometimes you make mistakes in your decision-making, you run into things that you were, you pl didn't plan for. And eventually that means it's going to take longer to go to where you wanted to go. And it's going to take you more money to get to where you wanted to go. So, uh, that's the beautiful life of an entrepreneur. So if it's, if it's really working well, if it's really working well, that's the beautiful life of an entrepreneur, but I, I, I'm, um, I don't want to paint a very gloomy picture or so on, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm active in, in the entrepreneurial scene and I, I have investments as, uh, uh, as, as an angel and I had investments as an angel in the past and I'm present there answering questions of people with their earlier stage startups. And I'm also together with some friends, um, creating a vehicle for investments in health tech. It's called Cleverage. It's quite active across uh, the Balkans at this moment. So the thing is, many, many of the startups are actually 
don't have that don't have that simple clear continuity from one investment round to the next with a clear path of growth that keeps the growth rate in you know as high as possible and therefore they are investable at any given moment many of the startups even startups that are run by started by good people with good business experience who understand the product who understand the market who create that who have that founder market fit and who can create that product market fit that we are talking about many of these people end up with with moments when they are struggling and you you know there's this saying that only 10 percent of the uh, startups succeed and 90 percent fail but this is not the full picture the full picture in fact is that while some people succeed and some people fail a lot of companies are in fact kind of struggling so they aren't dead they aren't successful they are you know this team of five or ten or fifteen people that are struggling from one month to the next to just move a little bit the needle in terms of getting the product to the next level in terms of getting one extra customer in terms of getting somewhere and sometimes i think this is this is the real trap and this is the real problem that you have to face and you know what do you do with these companies that have do not have you know the 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 um, the uh, what it takes the whatever it takes in order to jump into a fast growth uh, pace and they are obviously not that bad at that at that they would you know die the next 3 months if they wouldn't you know get one extra dollar from the uh, from from the founders uh, credit card loan or something like that you know uh, or or from a savings and i think this is this is i think where the where the struggle with uh, with the startups have have always been what do you do in those scenarios how do you draw the line how do you get there luckily as i said i we were not in that part in that in that part of the struggle but that is the actually the most difficult part of a struggle of an entrepreneur finding that not, while you have that founder market fit finding that product market fit that gets you to a sort of an exponential growth and from what i hear you learned many lessons uh, in your previous endeavors and jobs and and this experience now you can translate it and be a little bit more grounded when it comes to planning because that's another feature of founders especially if you are a first time founder that you you tend to be over optimistic and you you're planning for the best case scenario if everything goes well uh, and you don't it's really have the buffer founders. <laughs> it's not only first time founders we we tend to you know uh let's say be overconfident as entrepreneurs generally it's a it's, it's a known saying saying it's it's, it's going to uh, it's gonna cost double, and it's gonna take double the time to get where you where where, where you thought it it would be. And you know the funny thing, the funniest thing is you go afterwards if you do that analysis every now and then, and you realize it's so much truth in it <laughs> about you know how long it's take is gonna take for you to do X, and how much is gonna how much money is gonna cost for you for you to do X, and then uh, that's and that's it. So. Yeah, I think it's it's part of us and you know our optimism to to move things on, but at the same time there is a build up realism and you know being aware that it might cost more and it might take longer, I think is very important. And to to the extent that you have the luxury 
to learn this either with other people's money or with uh, less money in a smaller setting, I think it's so much better. Do you do you follow this uh, yourself? And I wonder when you and Theo are strategizing and planning for a long term, do you keep in mind the fact that maybe we are over positive? How, how does a, a planning or strategy session with Theo look like? I'm just curious to hear. You know, there, there, there. I think there are very different, you know, uh, ways of building the strategy of. Uh, of a firm, of a startup, of a high growth startup or scale up, whatever, whatever you call it. I think the most important thing remains uh, individual individuals thinking for themselves in a sleepless night or in a break between two meetings or on a long flight and trying to think and to draw on a piece of paper on a, you know, your computer, some ideas, some boxes, and I'll do this and I'll do that. And this connects into this and this connects into that. And this is a new picture of how things should be organized. Right? I think this is still probably the most important way of strategizing. Then, of course, you take that kind of blueprint and you start talking, first of all, with your partner, with your co-founder and so on. But then also, of course, you take other smart people, you get consultants, you get McKinsey's of the universe, you get, you know, um, important clients that have been close to us you get important people in the company that have 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 contributed along the way that understand the client better than understand the product better than understand the environment better and you start you know tweaking that into something that works and had can 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 have the impact and sometimes you do that in formal sessions where let's get around table in a meeting and then you derive this sort of new strategic blueprint and then you try to, to to see how now and if we were to cascade what what's on this chart into activities to get there and the steps that we need to take and the resources and capabilities that we need to acquire or build what would be the okay the relevant okrs for a current cycle that would you know contribute to taking us there so Coming back to the to the thing is, you know, uh, the the funniest and the most, uh, um, let's say, the most uh, uh, living way of strategizing is let's have a beer and talk about the business and where we're heading and what's going to happen and what are the different scenarios and so on. Still, the most uh, productive probably is you know sitting down and trying to draw things and seeking feedback from the others around that uh, uh, that blueprint and every now and then getting a committee to run the whole thing and to cascade it down into how to implement that strategy I think this is the uh, this is the you know the professional the more professional way of doing of doing things that I would preach but I have to admit that it happens in the minority of times, not in the majority of times. And I, I feel like there's there's also some magic into having a combination of both approaches. Like, because sometimes when you're at the beer, you start talking about is this idea that's not crystal clear. But then two days after, you sit with the whiteboard and based on this idea in this conversation, now you have some something that you can really develop. So, um. There's no, there's no like you know, universal 
this is how you should plan and it should be specifically at this period and frequent and um but but there's there's some guidelines no, I, right yeah you know i believe that uh, th there are some things that are absolutely clear obviously you put up something that looks like a strategy a strategy has to say has to fundamentally say how you're going to be unique and why that uniqueness is going to make money for you and why that uniqueness implicitly is going to be valuable for the clients so this is absolutely clear and the other part that is absolutely clear that is you have to take steps in order to implement it take steps in order to implement it it means creating the policies creating the structures creating the uh, flows the activities in the company in order to build towards that strategy yeah and if you want to do it in a you know practical way obviously it has to do something with objectives therefore you know at least this decade the most common way in companies to set objectives is okr there go therefore you go so this these are you know the the, the very uh clear things that the must-haves now how you actually do it and uh the 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 actual process of building that of creating the vision for the for the thing how you involve advisors and clients and all that this is so different from uh, and how much of it is ad hoc because it so happened that we had some time to think about it and how much is planned because we have set this retreat where we are getting together and planning for something that's something that you know i've seen i've seen many i've seen many many things in many in many companies and uh, uh some work better some don't and i don't have a very clear correlation as to what works and what doesn't uh when when, when you're talking about uh, this kind of you know uh, entrepreneurial company that needs to jump to the next level i have some ideas about how you do that in a mature company to make sure that it works but it's slightly different and that leads me to the question that uh, was asked uh, in the live comments by monica um she's curious about how big is your team now? And how was the journey of growing from 10 to the current number of people? <laughs> Wonderful question. We're about 300 right now. And uh, you know, that's, uh, that's spread in multiple locations. And um, if you look at the number of people as the building blocks, if you want, of your team, it's, uh, hmm, it's always a race in a way and uh, when you're small when you're a small company you don't necessarily have access to the same uh, level and breadth of talent as you have when you grow larger so because everybody every every great professional in this universe uh would you know when they get approached by a startup that hasn't necessarily achieved much they would say look but how would this look on my cv would this be something that is interesting will this help in my career maybe it's not safe enough maybe they're gonna have difficulties so if i get a job from microsoft google facebook whatever uh i'm better off so yeah thank you very much i'm flattered but no so uh, and, and this is this is what happens in the labor market while you grow when you grow bigger when you're 100 200 people and you have the luxury like we have to be a visible company at least in our geography of origin uh, and when even in the other geographies, you get to find out, hey, this is funded. This is this analyst that has said that has said that this 
Forrester report, this da da da, and you know, it's something like an established firm. So, and wow, this is a very interesting technology and it's going to grow da da da. So, that's a different stage, and you have access to different kinds of talent. Okay. Now, there are a few things along the way. First of all, you realize you're in a race, so you recruit people and you try to onboard people and to try to get people to work and coordinating. It's, it's actually two, two alternative traps. Either you don't hire enough people and then uh, it's everybody's like overworked and everybody's like overstretched and you don't really necessarily try to manage to achieve everything that you, that you planned for because you don't have enough people. You didn't, you know, you didn't get the right people that you wanted to hire and therefore you didn't hire or so on. Or you hire, you find the people, you get the number of people. You don't necessarily get the right level of people that you wanted to hire, but you to hire because there's work to be done and you have to do it. Okay. And then in with this team is a lot of chaos because hey, you, you have more than half of the people that you have hired are been have been in the company for six months or so. Uh, and, and, and not more. And that means, hey, it's going to be complicated because nobody like really, really knows what needs to be done. Everybody, there's a lot of exploration and there are a lot of, a lot of energy lost in trying to create some processes at the time, at the same time, while we're, while using those processes into building and transferring knowledge from people that have been longer in the company and then challenging that knowledge into building the new level of knowledge that you need to build in the company. So it's kind of, it's, it's a very, uh, I don't know, it's like a uh, uh, large amount of water over a rocky uh, uh, gorge, through a, through a rocky gorge or something like that. It's not a cascade. It's not as clean and clear as a cascade. It's not a stream of water that you can, you know, uh, navigate on a boat with. Uh, so uh, not, not, not navigate with a boat on. So I, I think that the, the, the thing is you end up uh, with this thing that you don't really, you, you have to move forward and you move forward at all, at, at all cost and with all speed and you, you're, that, that you can and you figure out what needs to be fixed in the process. There are some challenging moments in the, in the journey, if you want. And there are, I think this is valid for every organization, but more so for organizations that are growing fast. Number one, it's the size of the team. When you reach something like 100 people, then you have to formalize a lot of systems, processes, to formalize the culture, to make sure, because you don't have anymore that kind of family environment where everybody knows everybody knows you have kids, you don't have kids, you do this, you do that, and so on. In a, in a small tribe, less than 100 people, this is something that has always been uh, uh, possible. Above, and the limit is 150 in literature. So above 150, you absolutely need to have middle management, you have to have structures, you have to have rituals, you have to have the things that create, uh, that create a culture. And that is one thing, one, one, one thing that requires explicit effort and explicit plan. Second thing is, um, as you grow the, the company, you would have created some middle management. Um, you would have appointed some middle management that have you know, a, a large enough remit, okay? And uh, then what happens is the company grows bigger and you need a different level of expertise for different markets with different level of complexity. So you hire people that are far more senior than those. And in a way, although, you know, the departments grow and these people that are middle managers that you have hired continue to manage teams and so on, uh, well, they are kind of one level away from the leader of the firm because you need to hire 
a new level of management. And some of them would feel demoted because, hey, they are not anymore head of the entire product, but perhaps just a unit in the product or something like that, you know? So managing this one level of management that is kind of coming on top of an existing level of management, this is always struggling from the personal, you know, personal aspirations and personal way of, of people running their lives and their careers. But hey, I used to be head of something and now I'm head of something smaller, conceptually, although, you know, uh, then uh, uh, the, the, the business is larger, so the team is, is larger. And finally, uh, the, um, the errors and omissions in charting the course and the attempts that don't succeed. Uh, you, make, uh, you make mistakes. When you make mistakes, you don't know there are mistakes. You make decisions, and some of those decisions are right, some of those decisions are wrong. Only in the aftermath, they become you know, smart decisions or mistakes. And this means that you end up building some teams for something that doesn't take off. Whether it's a geography, whether it's a vertical in the product, whether it's something that, and, and then you come, you come across the realization that mm, this is not going to work or this is not going to work as planned. So you need to decommission, you know, a team or someone from a position and it's not their fault, but you still need to, to basically tell them, look, Sorry, it's been a we've been through this journey together, but as of now, unfortunately, our ways uh, split because hey, you have this competence, and we are now realizing that this is something that something else that 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 we need to do. And this is tough. And this is tough because you you realize you know, and when when people are not performing, it's so much easier you know because you you don't perform. So thank you very much. That's it. We'll. Uh, you do something else, I do something else. Okay, but when they do perform, they are really, really good at what they are doing, but there is a misfit between how the company is turning in, one, in what the company needs to do and uh, what your competences and uh, um, qualifications are. That's a, tough, that's a tough situation and it happens because you have to move fast and you have to, have, you have to retain what's probably the most most important superpower of entrepreneurship, which is the superpower to change your mind. Multinationals and large companies don't have that luxury of changing their minds. We do. So we have to be able to use it in order to move the course of the business as we learn more and more. And as the market changes, in the, perhaps at times, as we, and, and we learn about that to be able to use that more and more and to change the course. And that unfortunately hurts some people. Monica, I hope you enjoyed the answer of this question. I definitely did. And I actually have a follow-up question here. You talk about, unfortunately, there are some tough decisions that need to be made. And it's it's the role of the leader to, to make them. Every time I talk to you, Sergio, you give me this very calming energy and feeling. Um, of course, it's one thing how you appear, another thing what's happening inside, right? But But I wonder... How do you mentally prepare yourself to to make the tough choices or when you have to have a tough conversation or, I don't know, there is some external crisis that's affecting the business and you need to announce the bad news? How, how do you mentally prepare for these situations? It's, uh, it's a struggle, to be frank. And because it's a struggle, the faster you do it, the better it is because then you're 
<laughs> so, so don't when 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 you know that you're going to make something that 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 is a change, do it as fast as possible. And I think that's one one important clue because otherwise you're going to be tormenting there forever about you know is this good, is this bad, what what's going to uh, what's going to entail. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is you know I'm huh, I'm I'm the uh, I'm, I'm I'm a chronicle optimist. Uh, so. I, I really believe in the good of people. I really believe in businesses growing and I believe in opportunities. And frankly, even in my career, every time I got a, a, a kick in the butt, it meant a leap forward. So uh, kick in the butt equals leap forward. So I'm not that much worried that, you know, when we talk to people and sometimes what we have, what we, what we get or what we give is a kick in the butt, I think you have to carry the conversation to, to, to what's next, you know, because that's the most important thing. What's next? Um, the what the what's next thing, we are still and we are luckily living in a in, in a universe in a society of abundance, okay, where there is plenty of job opportunities for good people, where there is uh, plenty of initiatives that people can come up with, where people have the chance if they want to, to realize something or to at least attempt to start something, to start the startups that they thought of starting. And the, the safety net is really high because as long as you have worked with people for a while and people know that you're good at something, Okay, and as long as you have developed some skills and you have a profession or something like that, hey, even if you basically lose everything, lose shirt over an attempt to start a startup or some, or you lose a job that you cared about or something like that, there will always be, and it's not going to take, take a lifetime, it's going to take a very short amount of time for you to get a new team, a new setting, a new a new way of doing things uh, that would actually pay the bills. So for us is if you want to find the best fitting, um, hmm, um, the best fitting um, things in your life and in other people's lives, the best fitting aspirations, the best fitting skills and um, the best fitting actions that allow you to be part of the next team with the next purpose and with the next set of goals if you want and i'm 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 not it's not that i'm 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 trying this to do it with all love and not cynicism um because it's i truly believe that hey we have all of us we we probably all of us have chances to be better off somewhere else doing something else if we start exploring that route, okay? And in most of the cases, we don't explore that route because you know, we're in a good place and some th things are going nice and so on. But when you have the, the, the chance to, to exploit that, that route, to exploit the what else can you do, you realize it's a whole universe and it's so exciting, yeah? So sometimes you get to follow the, the current path. Sometimes, you know, that path closes and you need to, 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 to find the next path, but that should be an, an area of excitement and an area of joy. And it might actually fit better with your personality and with your skills. I love the part about optimism. And, um, I remember the first time we met, I, I, 
asked you afterwards, hey, can, can I interview you for our book? At the time, we were writing a book about startups and, and culture called Perform the Unsexy Truth About Startup Success. Currently, we are writing our second book called Perform in Times of Crisis. And of course, I would love to, to hear some thoughts uh, from you as well. And probably we'll follow up again on email to say, hey, can you also send me this? But, uh, uh, but my question with that regard is, what would be the top three traits of a weak leader in times of crisis? Uh, weak leader at a time of crisis. Okay, let's so let's you know, step get one step back. What's different in a crisis from a non-crisis? Um, is the level of volatility and the um, the how how the dynamic opportunities are appearing and mostly disappearing. So that kind of uh, you know, if if I were to think of something, there has been a few a few years back there was there were discussions about the VUCA world, you know, the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and uh, ambiguity of uh, a certain environment. And in a VUCA world, you know, everybody agrees that hey, you can't apply pre-existing rules. You're you have to shift from you know. Um, doing efficiently what you know how to do into exploring new ways of you know doing the same thing or doing something else to exploit opportunities in a in a in a in a rapidly changing world this is getting even more complex because it's um um resources that you have access to in a crisis are shrunk so while you need to put more effort into growing the company through unknown means, therefore into experimentation, well, you need to put more resources into experimentation, you have access to less resources overall. That's a crisis. Now, the beauty of it is high growth companies and startups are in a perpetual state of crisis because from the moment they, they started the business, there is a little, a, a, a great level of uncertainty about how am I going to, you know, make the next step? What's the next market? What's the next move? What's the next feature on the product? How is that, you know, and that there's a massive learning that is happening very fast. So in a way, starting a startup is putting yourself in a state of crisis that you have to, to manage through, to manage with, and so on. So in a way, and I'm, you know, of course, I'm not philosophizing or that, okay. In a way, is the natural state, yeah? It's a crisis. Thank you very much. What are you? You're a startup. Thank you very much. You know, so you do whatever you were doing in the past in the same way. Just be careful about some things. Uh, <laughs> and here, and here are probably the three things. Uh, most important thing: watch the money. Watch the money. And I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking now. You know, the answering to your question, weak leader or something like this. I'm trying to, you know, distinguish between what a good management and less than good management would be in a certain situation. But watch the money. You have probably a bit tougher time raising more money if you need more money. So you have to be very careful about, you know, how much money you have. What's the runway that you're looking for? postpone the runway as much as you can think of think of creating the longest runway that you can think of think of converging to break even think of if you didn't raise the next dollar how would the company look like so that's 
uh, and of course by I, opposition. I just want, I just want to stop uh, you here. I just want to stop you here yeah. because this is really important. Can you give some examples on that, like specifically? And I don't know. We can even take a pandemic happening or or a global recession or like like just a hypothetical example. What would be a way to be creative in terms of extending the the, the runway? Um, there's you know there's one, only one thing to to manage for the runway is you know increase the revenues, decrease the expenses. And I think this is, you know, the answer to crisis for small and large companies since forever. So you start watching what you're spending money on and cut radically the things that are luxury or are not something that are triggering revenues in the current planning period. Okay, and that's the, the that's the that's definitely the way to do it. And then you go into your current revenue streams, which are, you know, sometimes the result of a choice. I'm saying, you know, I'm making money out of this because this is strategically important. And you start looking for additional revenue sources. Now, that may be less strategic, but hey, it's a crisis. So every dollar is a dollar, you know? So it's, it's, it, it's not rocket science. It's how you put things in motion and you make sure that you reduce the expenses, you increase the revenues in order for the company to be as close to profitability, as close to break even, as fast as possible, ideally with the amount of money that you have already. Because even if that is technically impossible, so you have a company that will not, with the amount of money that has at the bank, will not be able to converge to break even, irrespective of what you do. Hey, you have to get closer to that for the potential investors to have the appeal and to say, hey, this is a good company. You look, they're on the path. They just need the extra dollars. Maybe it's, 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 it's a good opportunity to go there. So number one, I said, watch the money, watch the money and watch the money means that don't watch, don't sit and watch, do something about it. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. And actually this is the, num the, the, the number two thing is don't, don't sit and watch, do something and do something as early as possible. Don't overanalyze, don't wait because perhaps whatever triggered the crisis may go and don't wait because you don't have enough data, you know, probably you have enough data to realize that you need to do something, not enough data to realize everything in small steps of what you need to do, but the adjustments in the business uh, structure. These are things that you need to do earlier rather than later, because every day that you continue to throw money out the window at something in a crisis is going to, you know, hit you back at some point uh, really hard. And number three, um, and it's kind of difficult to do number one, two and three together, uh, is keep the people united. Keep the people together. And you have two categories of stakeholders, two categories of people that you really, really, really care about. It's your team and it's your clients. Uh, make sure that you give them transparency and you, uh, they understand what they are going through and they understand what you are going through in a way that, you know, in, you know increases the likeliness of you have bonding with them as opposed to, you know, increases the chances of them separate, separating mentally from you. And of course, here, the most important focus is on your own team, uh, because sometimes, as I said earlier, it, it may be the time for you to say goodbye to some very good people. 
and you absolutely have to do it that you have to keep the rest of the of, of the team united and you have to uh, be able to talk to your customers about you know what is what is out there in terms of, in terms of market and what does this mean for the relationship between you and to build on new potential revenue streams and stuff like that so it's money it's you know action it's people beautiful and um talking about um, you know i come from the movie industry that's my background i'm not sure i share with you and uh when when we you know i was a producer right so when you go to on set on a production a lot of people don't understand when you go on a production it's a crisis management for a few days like you, you you're constantly jumping from one crisis to another i don't know the the camera stops working the smoke machine is not there somebody gets sick and it's a major actor now you have to like it's just a, a like a mini series of crises that you need to solve so i'm i'm kind of used to jumping around assessing the situation and and adjusting the plan really fast i wonder if you have any example like that you want to share like of a crisis or emergency that happened on your entrepreneurial journey. And just if you can lead us through the example, what did you do right? And what would you do differently if you can go back? So that's a very deep question. And I'm afraid I don't, I don't, I don't have like the, 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 the perfect example, but I, I do have many, many, uh, many other many uh, examples and uh, that that I that I uh, that I I've gone through where um, you you don't always find best perfect balance between and you know the people together and I think this is the you know coming back to the three anchors that I gave as an answer to your previous question and um I've, i i had i had times when i was uh let's say um perhaps not moving fast enough in making the decisions and um as a result the finances have deteriorated to to a point in fact in my past but that's also sometimes an opportunity, you know, because in my past, for instance, there is one company that I have invested in at some point. And I invested precisely because they were in a difficulty. They were in a crisis situation. They did not realize they were in a crisis. They were, you know, too fond of, you know, we have this amazing team. We have to hold the company together, the, the team together, irrespective of what happens. We will find new sources of revenue. And they found new sources of revenue, but much later, not in two months, something that would, you know, uh, make, make the company whole. And the company started to have financial difficulties, like serious enough financial difficulties. And I, I was... At the time, you know, the company, the, the, the person that came as a, as a small investor and helping them restructure those, uh, um, those finances over the next six months or so with a limited amount of money, but that limited amount of money was necessary in the, in the economy of the firm. And, uh, well, that, that could have been avoided had they just realized, hey, I lost a major part of my revenue. I absolutely need to cut away a major part of my uh, um, 
uh, expenses. Even that means, I don't know, you know, saying goodbye to lots of good people. Okay, and I think that's one one example of me not necessarily me making the mistake, but jumping in in order to solve a situation like that. The second is, and I'm I'm gonna be honest. We've we had you know when we started to structure things with a new paradigm of growing towards break even efficiency growth. We we had to adjust and you know say goodbye to certain teams that were doing stuff that we thought hey this is no longer something that we can invest in because the efficiency of investment isn't there. And I know it went the way it went. And it's been mostly reasonable, mostly good, but I don't know for sure if we did, you know, early enough what we needed to do, and we were kind enough to the people that we said goodbye to, you know, because there is always this thing. And then the the, the most important thing, if we were clear enough to the people that were not directly affected, in order for them to get you know, the reality of what we have gone through. Because in when when bad time, bad time, bad bad things are happening, people tend to be suspicious. And the, the way our mind works, it our mind fills the void with monsters. So when you don't have something that gets talked about, you imagine the worst. Okay? Something that doesn't get mentioned is usually interpreted it wasn't mentioned not because that guy is stupid and has forgotten to talk about it but because there is something really 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 deep and troubling and problematic about it you know and this kind of thing there is never enough communication but also you can't you know like over exhaust everything in communication so you communicate what you think you, you need to communicate and it hits you like a week later that there is this tiny thing in your in your mind that you didn't mention and yet it blew into something, into some dragon that is you know, uh, throwing flames over their, their, their mouth and burning the, um, uh, burning the ground. So what I'm trying to, to, to get to here is that uh, I don't think, you know, the, there is a one best way of uh, keeping the company together after you have to do a small restructuring or a larger restructuring. And it's been in the IT industry, in the tech industry, everywhere and in all, uh, in all the companies. And you read about, you know, the nice letter that I don't know which CEO has written to people, da, da, da. And, you know, it's a nice letter, but I'm pretty sure some of the people in that company got it really bad, you know. And some others, they do, you know, let's make a town hall with the people that are staying and let's make a conference with the people that are going. And then it's kind of, you know, on. so there is no one single best way of doing things there is one single approach to it which is be kind and be thoughtful and everybody's a human therefore you can't always be kind enough and thoughtful enough so you make mistakes you you don't necessarily uh, are manage to provide that level of confidence the right level of confidence to the people that are staying but if you did things reasonably right with a good and open heart. After a while, things settle. That's my thing. After a while, things settle. So what I'm hearing is part of your job as a leader is to accept that there will be tough times and you will make mistakes and 
it might get messy. Somebody might get offended, hurt. Something might happen. But it's it's a natural part of of a journey of of building something of meaning. Yeah, that that is you know some sometimes because when when you have to make uh, the, the the changes and you have to make them fast. There's never 100% best way of doing things. So sometimes you realize as you have to move faster rather than wait and ponder for extra time that you have made a mistake and you have not made the best or the smartest choice. And hey, even worse, some people in the organization would have known how to do it better. And uh, you know that's 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 really important like what you're saying here. Uh, and the thing is, like when you made this mistake, or whatever mistake you made, I think that the challenge is if we keep coming back to oh, how could how come can I done this? I'm so stupid. Like you know, spending so much energy on something that's irreversible as opposed to what a great lesson. Okay, Ooh. where is the solution? Like like kind of decreasing yeah. the time that we spend in unproductive space. And here's my question to you. I have two more questions. Here's the question. No, to you. I mean, I mean, that's, a, that's a matter of you keeping peace of mind. You can't fix the past. You can't fix the past. You can only how do you future. do that, Sergio? How do you, how do you, I mean, it's easy to say, but it's we're human beings. How do you personally kind of let it go and move on fast enough? For me, it's easy. For I, I've been blessed with a very bad memory. So. <laughs> So I forget. <laughs> so I, I train myself to make sure that when, when I, you know, think that to understand the things I will, I will forget the details of things. They will, they will pass by and they will be forgotten. But I have this thing that, you know, is my, my reactions as a business person and how I trained my muscles, if you want. And obviously, if I made a mistake in the past, it would have trained my muscles, hopefully, in me making a, a slightly better decision next time when I'm in a similar situation, although I may not remember it, but my training would have already, you know, uh, this is burning, don't touch it. And I don't need to overthink about it, but I, if it's burning, don't touch it, you know, this kind, this kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. but also I think to even people that are less blessed and they have an excellent memory. Uh, so... <laughs> Even, even even they have a chance because the only thing is, hey, let's focus on the future. The future is so exciting. The past is so boring. It happened already. And this unshakable optimism is 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 another trait of of you know great leaders, especially in difficult times, that they keep keep the focus on the team. Um, you know, where's the vision? What's happening after the crisis? And, and keep reminding everybody, all right, guys, it's difficult times, but hey, if we come together. This is what can happen, all right? I don't promise anything, but hey, let's let's go and keep keep reminding people, hey, there's better things coming out there. There might be opportunities that we never seen before, thanks to to this challenge that we're going so, through. And let me let, let me let me put some some other you know uh, add add one extra small thing. You know, um, I think the most important thing that we get, and I think this is this is philosophical. When you, when you start a company and when you start building it and so on, the most important thing that you get as a person is not money and is not glory. So 
if you don't focus on how much money you're going to make and how how you know glorious this is going to be on you but you focus on learning what can i learn out of it then i think you're a lot more at peace and you use your your if you want your semi intellectual entrepreneurial curiosity uh, i'm saying semi intellectual because it, it can't be you know just curiosity it's curiosity with action so you do you learn stuff you do stuff you learn stuff you do stuff so it's you use this entrepreneurial curiosity in order to learn and that learning experience whether you know at the end of the day you got the money and the glory or whatever you were willing to whatever else you were willing to get out of it okay it's probably not that relevant you have to you, if if you focus on the learning then you would have learned already a lot you would have gained already a lot in your journey even when you know this doesn't necessarily lead to a major success or something and that learning is something that stays with you because um hey building a product and launching a product this is a ma- major skill even if perhaps in this particular instance it was less than you know the success that you wanted it to be building a team and working with a team is a learning raising some funds talking to some investors knowing who they are all those things are people that you have met in the process that you know how good they are at what they are good and they know how good you are at the things that you are good this is learning this stays stays with you and it's not going to change if this time or that time this is not going to be the you know money making or pedestal building thing that you may have thought it would be again coming from the movie sector um i i love the fact that you're talking about perspective and you know you put on the different type of lens and you see the world differently with the same kind of facts like i come from the world of movies and i was fascinated how we we put so much effort into creating and shaping stories where you know we're screenwriting a story and there is this main character and then they go through a struggle and then they learn something and then they go even lower down but then they go up and then they go down and they go up and, and at some point eventually they either achieve the goal they wanted to achieve or it's not as le- relevant anymore or they have this major learning and we're fascinated by watching the movie the stories but we don't really see ourselves the same way right and and every time i'm kind of in a in a difficult moment i made a major mistake i try to remind myself that's amazing man you in in the lower part of your story right now now it's just upwards right like this this what if i see the f- 5 or 10 or 15 years instead of i look at today and and it kind of grounds me and helps me to get back into a more productive state doesn't mean i'm going to resolve all the solutions tomorrow like all the problems tomorrow but i have a way better chance to spend my energy more productively and that's uh... if I may add one difference between the movie settings and you know, the, the the what what we are doing here um, hmm. there's no villain in most of the cases there is no villain in in the real world so you should not 
overspend time trying to look for a villain and vilify something or somebody in the in your normal way of way of business although that you know is a creating great adversarial energy that can be you know summoned in order to do great things with but hey it's very likely that there is no villain around and with that you know fact acknowledgement of that fact perhaps it's even easier to build a better world somehow Amen. And final question we have Amen. from <laughs> final question we have from Melika. Thanks everybody for joining us live and for engaging. I just want to ask uh, this question. Uh, Melika is being very curious, and she's asking, "How do you choose the people in your teams? Is trust one of the cores for successful relationship with your committee?" Oof. Uh, trust is of the essence. Trust is of the essence. Uh, we are um, blessed with a less than optimum uh, ability to trust people in this part of the world. If you look at the interpersonal trust, it goes to its highest levels in Nordic countries. It goes to its lowest level in uh, the part of the world where we come from. That is fundamentally one area of you know, growth for us to understand that we need to trust people more because that builds our ability to work with others before we have learned that we can work with others and we can rely upon them. So if at any given moment in your career, one person perhaps has cheated you on something or has taken advantage of you because you trusted them, that is definitely not the case for you to distrust or to be that prudent in trusting the rest of 99 or the rest of nine people that even if you didn't know them, trusting them wouldn't have hurt you back. And this is, this is important, that there is a massive difference between the granting of trust that we give others when we come from this part of the world, and may, there may be historical reasons attached to it, as if you are coming from the Nordic. So this is one thing that we have to fix in ourselves. Trust is a given, and trust can be withdrawn if you fail me, but only to you and not to everybody else whom I would continue to trust every time. And I think this is why our position, when we want to build something big, something where people need to collaborate, where people absolutely need to trust each other, you have to keep that element of trust and you have to give trust rather than expect trust. Okay? And I think this is, uh, this is uh, one important thing. Um, choosing people is, hey, um, you, you choose from the people that have chosen you to a big extent. So you have uh, to choose from the people that want the job that you opened. It's not the abstract. Even when you do headhunting, you get turned down many times because, you know, this person doesn't necessarily want to change where they are right now and so on. So this choosing of people is, hmm, is never easy. Personally, I am, uh, I'm looking at three things. Uh, or actually two categories of things, let me put it like that. It's aptitude and it's attitude. So on the aptitude, we can't afford to hire people that don't have the aptitude. It's too slow. We can't really teach the people that we hire. Like many of the companies that are growing slower or have less 
urgent things to do can afford. Taking, of course, there are people where we train them and we get them to the to the level what they, of, of of that that we need we need them to provide. But that doesn't they they have also to have the aptitude of being super fast learners, and to have the skills and the experiences that in an adjacent part of knowledge, such that with that aptitude of learning, they get up to speed fast enough and a very functional thing of the work that they need to do. As entrepreneurs, we hire people, we, we, we always have to hire people that are smarter than us in their area of uh, expertise, in their area of understanding. And how much smarter, how much more do they know, we don't even, we're not even able to judge sometimes. No, because we can only have visibility about that much over our own knowledge and our our own experience, and everything above that is, you know, it it may still be different levels, but we don't have visibility of where where it. That sometimes that aptitude needs to build on top of something that we currently uh, have or understand. On the attitude thing, well, this is a fast-paced environment where we need to move fast. Sometimes we make mistakes and we have to correct them. We have to keep together and we have to trust each other. And in order to do that, we need two kind of attitude uh, things that are important for me. One is a certain level of bravery. Be brave, we call it. You know? So we need people who have the courage and the ambition to build something important. We can't choose people that are there for a cozy job nine to five. If you're up for a cozy job nine to five, well, there are government jobs somewhere, hopefully, that you can take. You know, but is for us, this is not something that uh, that is enough for us. Going to do things as they were always done is not going to bring the next revolutionary product, is not going to create history, is not going to create that uh, uh, global firm that we want to what, that we want to build. So be brave and have the courage to stand up for your opinions and have the courage to, you know, make decisions and the ambition. And this is very relevant for, for ambitious people. You have to, at the same time, be kind, you know. So not all the people are equally ambitious. Not all the people, not, not your ambition may actually be potentially conflicting with someone else's ambition at some moment. Be kind in treating others. Understand, put yourself in their shoes and work with other people as you would want them to work with you. Is the golden rule if you want. So if you want, well, it's have the aptitude, be brave, be kind. These are the, the way if, that we are you know, struggling or doing our best to select our people uh, with. Are we 100% successful? No, we are not. But, you know, they say excellence is not the result. Excellence is, is the strive to get there. 
Beautiful. What a great way to wrap this up. And by the way, she's very happy with your answer, sir, too. And so am I. And I just want to give you the space here to, to share what's on your mind these days. Where could people find you and FinTech OS? And who, who are those people who will, or companies who will benefit most working with you guys? Oh, thank you very much. So, um, if you, if you see, uh, if, if you're working in a company, that uh, has the need to launch financial products or is currently looking at, hey, we are a retailer and we need to finance our buyers to buy things. We are a bank and we need to distribute financial products with different channels, different online channels, and we want to dis in 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 enhance that. We are a company and are thinking of some embedded finance that would be part of a value chain. And this is something where FintechOS has a lot of knowledge about it. Um, at the same time, I am here basically, you know, among other things, on a mission to create the uh, a better business environment um, and a better startup environment for people to grow and build whatever they they dream of, and in that process of building a better world that we dream of, really build a better world. So sometimes I have the possibility, I have the knowledge, I can give advice. And uh, sometimes I can put a bit of money here and there in, uh, in companies. So if it so happens that we manage to find the fit, you know where to find me. And I'm old enough that my email address is sergio at gmail.com. And that is a lifelong email address, as you would suppose. So, hey, every now and then I respond to, to, to people asking for different things. And I'm always, always very happy to see some business started by one of you that has the potential to grow a lot bigger than the business that I started myself. And happy to talk about that. Congratulations for owning this Gmail, first of all, third you. And secondly, thank you so much for being with us uh, and for sharing uh, the fourth time. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we, we're going to have a lot more meetings in, in the years to come. Thank you for being a giver, Sergio, uh, for always sharing your lessons with the no BS, no filter hashtag uh, <laughs> you know, way of looking at the things and, and just uh, being honest with not only what you're good at but but also some of the mistakes the shortcomings because uh, i i think we need to have more conversations that are real and uh, you are you're a great example and a great inspiration for me so thank you so much sergio for, for you, another it's amazing great what episode. Doing and it's a, like every time a conversation with you is so fulfilling you know because it kind of puts a, a mirror and there are things that you learn i learned from the conversations with you. And I'm I'm really happy to be here and to contribute. Good luck. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. Give us a five-star or whatever rating you feel like we deserve. And keep listening to Productivity Mastery. Keep building, uh, no matter the circumstances externally. So thank you so much and see you at the next episode. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe to my monthly newsletter by visiting stoeniankov.com and also learn about the Perform methodology and the Perform book, as well as our various personal and team coaching offers. Stay tuned.
and keep performing.